Uh, hey everybody, welcome to Madness Continues Podcast. Uh, this is this is your host, Brendan Lemon. I say that at the start of every podcast, and then I also immediately talk about why, how weird this is, because no, it's like the only people who listen to this podcast are people who have already listened to it. So like why, you found me on Quora, or LinkedIn, or Facebook, or wherever you found this, but you know who I am because of <laughs> the fact that you've already seen see me on this. Uh, well, anyway, the point is, uh, welcome. Thank you so much for, for tuning in and getting this on SoundCloud or iTunes, wherever you got it. Uh, our, so from time to time, I bring on guests to the podcast and we talk about different issues and things that are going on in the world, people who have unique perspectives and experiences. And today's guest is certainly among those. Uh, please give it up for uh, Ms. Chanel Preston, everybody. Hi! Hooray! That's the audience <laughs> that you can't hear, but they're all applauding right now. I'm sure they're all applauding. <laughs> they're listening to this on their, uh, they're applauding in their cars, they're driving to work. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, so let me introduce you a little bit for audience members. So Chanel Preston is a very interesting person. She is on a podcast called Sex Think with uh, Rob Nelson. Uh, you guys talk about a lot of different topics. Rob is an interesting guy, and we'll probably talk about him in, in a minute too. Um, but basically, the, the, what got this sort of the ball rolling on me wanting to talk to you is that I thought, what an interesting time to have a podcast devoted to sort of analyzing sex and media from an intellectual perspective. Uh, and Chanel Preston is also a porn star, I should say. She, uh, she, uh, she is, uh, has a career at the, exactly at the intersection of media and sexuality, and I thought that, you know, you are very articulate on the podcast, and when Rob shuts up for a few minutes, uh, you can actually get some very, <laughs> very interesting thoughts in. <laughs> yes, that's, a, that's something he's working on, slowly. <laughs> you're getting him, you're getting, you're training him? <laughs> You know, he's obviously used to hosting himself, but he's a talker anyway, and we work differently. You know, he's very much on the, off the cuff, talking, 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 and I'm, I, I think a little more about what I say, and when people talk, I kind of, you know, I, I'm like exploring it in my mind first, so I tell him, I'm like, you got to give me a chance, because it's not, it's, I, I'm kind of thinking about things first before I say them, because I'm exploring, I'm learning as much as like anybody else is learning who's listening to it, which is something that I really enjoy about uh, this podcast, really. Yeah, well, you guys, I think you do a good, and it's funny because that, the way you've just described that is exactly the dynamic that the two of you guys have. He is a little bit like a spray and pray, kind of like just, <laughs> it's just, there's no, sometimes I'm listening to the pod. And uh, I'm like, does he, does Rob even have a filter? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> I know sometimes I'm like, I'm embarrassed. I'm like, oh, Rob, why did you say that? Oh, man. But that's part of the show is it's supposed to be uncensored and whatever. So, you know, he, he, he can do his thing without yeah. being, without me shaming him. Unless he's interrupting me and then I will shame him. <laughs> it's very funny that you say that because... He, he just expressed on this last uh, episode that you guys just did, I think, the one uh, where you're talking about basically the world of porn, that he yeah. he was like, I'm trying to be better. I'm trying not to interrupt as much. And I was like, I'm glad somebody had a conversation with him. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, there's been many conversations, believe me. It'll take some time, but he's definitely working on it. That's cool. Well, you guys have a good dynamic, and it's uh, let me have you let me ask you this: Have you taken the Myers Briggs uh, in type indicator test, like the personality test? <laughs> um, no, I'm familiar with it, but I have not taken it. I wonder if you're probably in uh, I N maybe F J or something in that, or I N T P maybe in that like area, because it's interesting the way you describe it. You're like, I like to sit back and think about stuff. I'm like the opposite. I maybe part of the reason that I I connect a little bit with Rob on the show is because I think I'm exactly the same way. Like I'll just, I have to talk through something in order to figure it out. Like I literally, it's so bad, you know, like I don't even have an internal monologue. Like I have almost no internal monologue. (laughs) (laughs) But that's great for a podcast, especially if you're hosting on your own. That's perfect. It's not bad for a comedian. And I used to do a lot of improv, but for my girlfriend, it's a little bit like challenging. (laughs) Oh yeah. No, my boyfriend's the same way. He just, like, talk, 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 talks, and I think, does he even know? Okay, slow down. Like, let's talk about this for a moment. I'm like, I don't even know if he believes what he's saying. He's just having this, like, dialogue with nobody or himself. I don't know. But then once we really get into the conversation together, it's different. But, yeah, at first he's just, like, blabbing away about, I don't even know. And he's just like, how fast can he put his foot in his mouth? Because that's the game yeah. I feel like I'm playing, mostly. It's, uh, it's really humorous because uh, I, this is a lot of times. It's the worst is when we go to Trader Joe's. Like uh, that is like one of my favorite. Gloria, my girlfriend, who the podcasters know because I reference her all the time. Sooner or later, I have to have her as a guest. Maybe you right. and her. Maybe you and her can connect on ways that you have to deal with your idiot boyfriends who uh, seem to to just be running their jib all the time. But maybe, maybe it, it's so bad because we'll go to Trader Joe's and I'll start talking with. Just anybody. I don't even. I don't know what it is about that store, but I walk in and I become like a an eight year old version of myself, and I'm just kind of like grabbing. I'm like, oh yeah, we could use an acorn squash, and I'll just throw it in the. I'll just throw it in the basket, and then I'll start talking to people, but just random people. I'll be like, you know, what can you do with shishito peppers besides just fry them up? And some old lady's like, I, I, who, who are you? Who you, are you? Why are you following me? Yeah. Do you work here? <laughs> like, it's just weird because one of the things that Rob referenced on, I think it was maybe the first or second episode of Sex Think that I listened to, was he was talking about how, he's like, when you speak to a woman, if, a, if you're a man and you speak to a woman in public, it's almost automatically assumed that you're, she's like, this guy's hitting on me. And it's so funny because a lot of times I feel like Gloria, my girlfriend, has to play like the safety, like the role of like, I'm making sure everyone in public knows Brendan's like not crazy because like right. he, he's got some social proof. He has a girlfriend. I'm right here. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know. And I wonder. I, I, I'm very different when I'm out and about. I feel like I, I don't really have that mentality of everyone who speaks to me is is hitting on me to a point where some people are like, yes, he's hitting you and hitting on you, and I'm like, hitting me. He's hitting you. <laughs> He's hitting on you, and I'm like, he is? Oh, my God. I had no idea. I just thought he was being, like, kind of an oddball. So I'm, like, on the other end of the spectrum, and I wonder, I'm like, are guys all hitting on girls? I really don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, you could be a unique – I mean, maybe you're sort of unique based on your sort of exposure in the life that you have, but, like – Maybe it's good that you're taking those Krav Maga classes if these guys are all hitting you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, they're just hitting me out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. 
Um, yeah, I, I certainly hope that's not happening. That would be a real Me Too moment. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. Like, I would definitely be able to relate then if that was happening for sure. I could see a HuffPost article right now talking about, you know, Chanel Preston hit a Trader Joe's, beats the shit out of her assailant. Like... <laughs> Yeah, but you know, it's so it, there's such different rules for people in porn. They almost be like, "Well, she was asking for it because of the video she did it two years ago, where oh, where a guy hit her and she was like, have sex with me.' Like, I don't yeah. know. They try to they try to spin it. it in some direction. Well, this is oh, exactly yeah. so. Okay, so this is why I wanted to have you on the pod and talk about this because this is very fascinating to me. That, like I said earlier, you kind of occupy this unique position because. You're you're in porn. Uh, you have a lot of thoughts on I would on you know on sexuality. Hence the podcast. Um, they're informed because you you know the thing like I told you know before the pod we were talking and I said that the thing that really inspired me to be like oh man I really want to connect with Chanel and talk about this was the fact that you referenced you know Warren Farrell's The Myth of Male Power, which is a rather interesting book. And Warren Farrell, I should let the listeners know, is a sort of a He's actually a classic second wave feminist, interestingly. Yes. And yes. <laughs> he um he was sort of influential in the nineties men's movement. And the book that he wrote is really a work of of feminism. It's a it's a fascinating book that if you were to look at it through the lens of sort of equality and the analysis of gender roles in society, you would you would conclude this is a work of you know, from the, the school of feminist thought. But the fascinating thing about it and why it's become a very controversial book is basically that, you know, he's saying in The Myth of Male Power that because of the so social situation that we live in, there's an uh, assumption of male power in almost every situation. And right. that prompted me, I think I wrote you, I think I tweeted at you actually, and I said that, you know, what you were talking about on the pod was very relevant to what um, a feminist I really like named Laura Kipnis was talking about. Um, and I would encourage everybody listening to the pod to go check her out. She's a very fascinating woman. She she teaches in Chicago, actually, and I saw her give a talk downtown. And one of the things she references is that stuck in this wave of, you know, third wave feminism, basically, we forget that there is a lot of different ways that people have an exercise power and one of those ways is is you know institutional sort of culture power but another way is just sexual power that women can have over men and in a lot of ways uh that men are the assumption of male power is actually detrimental to men and women getting along or or you know reaching some kind of harmonious sort of social space that I think we want to all exist in so I, I was really impressed when you referenced it because I was like, holy shit, she's done her homework. And uh, I would be interested, I guess, to get into the space. I'm already, I can tell I'm already talking too much on this podcast. <laughs> um, I would be very interested to hear your thoughts sort of on kind of the Me Too movement and I think where sort of where our, our socialization of sexuality is developing. But I think a good way to get into that discussion perhaps is talk a little bit about the fact that you know, you've been uh, pretty, I think, honest and open about the fact on the on the Sex Thing podcast that you're like, I'm really no big friend or ally of most feminists and most feminism. And I think what you just expressed a minute ago is probably a good, uh, and, you know, good expression of that, which is that you're like, you know, were you to get in a fight and defend yourself, probably women would come out and be like, well, she was asking for it for blah, blah, blah reasons and things like this. Right. 
Right. And, you know, I've had an interesting relationship with feminism, I always say, because as a, as a, a performer in pornography, people always... A porn performer, if you will. A porn performer. I feel weird saying porn star because people are like, who the heck is she? There? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, uh -oh. who is this girl? And are you? Can you hear me? Oh, wait, I can hear you. Sorry. There's a, uh, I was having some issues with my, with my, uh, uh, with my device, but I actually can hear you. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No worries. Okay, you can hear me, yes. right? Yep, okay. I got you. So I, I have an interesting relationship with feminism because being in porn, I, I often get interviewed and I'm always asked the question of, are you a feminist? And I think to myself, I don't think other people get asked that question as often as I get asked. I'm sure if I was like an attorney with this respectable job, nobody would ever say, are you a feminist? Oh man, um, that's such a good point. Yeah. Unless they were representing men who maybe it would be perceived that they were like, not f feminist or something, but anyway, Which I guess I think the perception time. of all men. <laughs> lately. Well, it, right. I guess you're right. Yeah, you're right. Um, so I've always had this funny relationship and I'm like, am I a feminist? And you know, I've struggled with identifying as a feminist. And sometimes I sit here and I think about it and I actually think, should I, should I say I'm a feminist? And then I get mad about it. I I'm like, I'm so mad that I even have to have this conversation with myself when I really should be thinking about true issues, not whether I'm a feminist or not. And I feel like kind of this weird, uh, <laughs> this weird anger towards people because I'm like, I shouldn't be blaming other people, but I'm like, you're making me feel like I need to decide if I'm a feminist or not. And I should be focusing on other things. But, and then I'm like, I'm okay. No, I don't identify as a feminist. So for years I just had this weird relationship with whether I really identify as a feminist. And I, I, you know, I really don't, and it doesn't mean that I don't uh, believe in uh, s some of the like uh, the feminist ideals and things like that. It's just I've never felt the need to actually identify as a feminist. I, mm. I, I feel like it's never really bolstered me in any way mm. or benefited me in any way to mm -hmm. say I'm a feminist. Um, because I also believe, and, and part of it was like my, my journey through uh, reaching myth of the male power, was I was trying to read about varying perspectives of like gender power. And that's when I came upon this book, because I was like, well, it can't be that... You know, the primary narrative right now is that is that there's this patriarchy and, and women are oppressed and, and things like that. But then I was like, well... It can't be that simple, you know. Let, let, let's get into the complexities of it, and that's when I came on to this book, Myth of the Male Power. And I actually read it right after I read a book called Myth of the um, Female Masochist. I think. Interesting. Uh, yeah, and, and and they don't. You could you could agree with both of them. It's not like a book that's like they're not like the antithesis. Yeah, these are these are they aren't mutually exclusive perspectives. Yes. So um, you know, and that's when I really got into reading more about feminism and, and, and reading about different perspectives of, in feminism, because if I don't agree with something or I'm not quite sure, I'm always like, oh, I'm going to read, I'm going to read books about something I don't necessarily agree with because I want to see their perspective because mm -hmm. I'm very familiar with like confirmation bias and I'm like, I don't want to just read stuff that confirms my position on things. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's, 
interesting to hear because I think so many people don't do that. And I think that a lot of people really feel a lot of comfort in getting their own perspectives reaffirmed sort of again and again. But I think that, you know, what, what I think maybe we share then is that, that the idea that I, I actually kind of actively try to seek out, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, uh, feelings that are slightly discomforting and uh, that right. exactly lines up with, you know, me looking to find perspectives I disagree with. And, uh, it's what I, why I end up, you know, a lot of my podcasts, uh, not so much in the last, uh, probably few months, but really prior to that, I was very interested in finding people I disagreed with and we could kind of hash out the disagreement on the podcast. Right, um, right, right. Which was pretty interesting. But one of the things I wanted to respond to that, that you were saying is that you, you're, you're asked a lot if you're a feminist. I think that is fascinating because for exactly the reason you put forward, that if you were a surgeon, would somebody be like, are you a feminist in a surgery? No, I'm a fucking surgeon and I'm concerned about trying to make sure that people live through my goddamn surgeries. <laughs> like, right, how does right. my, I treat everyone the same. How the hell is this relevant to, you know, the, what, anything I do in my life? It's, it's fascinating to me because I don't understand why that's so important either. Uh, I guess I, I don't know why that's important to the people asking the question, but well, it's... I I have a theory. Yeah, go ahead. I'd love to hear. And it. I I feel like partly, especially with women, I mean, obviously they want to know because I'm portraying a very unfeminist sort of dynamic between men and women generally. So there's well, that. See, that's and... in, that's true, but it's interesting because, and I'm sorry not to pull a Rob Nelson here. It's and okay. <laughs> Uh, it's fascinating because Nina Hartley would disagree with you. She would probably, or disagree with that. She would say it's very empowering to be at the center of, you know, sexual attention and you can inhabit that in a very powerful and pro-feminist way. So it's, it's interesting that there's a, a real difference. It almost feels condescending for someone to believe that, you know, that perspective that a woman who's operating as essentially a, you know, in w- the way you do in pornography is, disempowered or inhabiting only the male gaze or something like that. Well, I agree with you on that, but I think uh, the majority from their perspective, I'm portraying, even though I can say, Oh, I feel empowered. Um, I'm portraying mostly a dynamic between men and women where the men are, are, are dominant and the women are submissive. So it's not about how I feel. It's about how people perceive that. Mm. So they need to understand why I'm doing that, especially like if I'm a feminist, why am I doing that? But also I think it makes them feel comfortable to hear that I'm a feminist and I'm doing that. It's almost like they don't really know where to place me in my mind, in Mm. their minds. Mm. So by me saying, no, I'm a feminist, I feel empowered. They're a little more comfortable with the fact that I'm doing this in a way, Mm. especially women, men, I don't think that's the case. They're not like, ah, like breakdown. I don't know where to place her in my mind. I think for women, that's definitely a thing. Like, well, are you a feminist? And if I say yes, then I, I I sense that they feel a little more comfortable, Mm. but if I say no, well then their mind's really blown and they have no idea what to do with me. (laughs) (laughs) What happens if you say no? Have you said no before? And then (laughs) what do they do? I mean, I, I'm sure I have before. Um, I don't really usually talk. I try not to go there with people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, for I can understand why. Right. I mean, maybe I feel like it's a little provoking for me to be like, I'm not a feminist, and that's not really the type of person I am. So yeah. I, yeah. I mean, if they ask me, I say it, but I, I don't 
generally bring it up. I even tweeted the other day, actually, that I don't identify as a feminist. And I tweeted about a new book called um, Women Versus Feminism. And even that, for me, I was like, oh, I can't believe I just tweeted that. Oh, my God. I just revealed something about me that people don't really know. I think people assume that I am, like, ultra-feminist. Ooh, I'm being so edgy today. I know, right? I'm like, oh, my God, I feel so vulnerable. Oh, man, that's so funny. Um yeah, I, that's very interesting. I'd like to, uh, we should probably talk about that book in a moment. Um, I think that there is, here's what I think is going, from my perspective, here's what's going on, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this, is that I think that we live in, a, in an increasingly tribalized society, and it's, it's fascinating because I think that the world has become so generally homogenous in the West uh, that most people actually do believe mostly the same things, although that doesn't seem, uh, it doesn't seem on its face like that's the case because there's mm-hmm. so much, so many differing perspectives. But I think that what's actually happening is that because things are more or less mostly similar, uh, any sort of differences are being really like almost hyperbolically highlighted. So everybody's like, you know, you wait a minute, you're, do you believe in exactly the same kind of, you know, democracy that I believe in or do you believe in exactly the same kind of freedom that I believe in like and it's weird because I think that people have sort of lost a sense of community and as a result they're looking for labels they can place on other people that make them feel uh you know like we're okay you and I are members of the same tribe or something like that right and I think that maybe feminist is a good one to to put on people and it's strange because you know, I'm not asked that question. Uh, but, <laughs> right. Yeah, and it's odd because as a comedian, you feel very... I mean, I don't know how many comedians you uh, associate with, but it's strange because there's almost a, a an odd amount of pressure that comes from an audience where they're trying to almost... Especially in Chicago, I should say, but it hasn't always been the case in every audience I've been in front of. But in most major cities in the United States, if I'm in front of an audience and I'm telling jokes... There's almost a strange pressure sometimes where they're waiting for, they're almost waiting for you to say something that they can disagree with or that they, almost some secret evidence that shows that you're actually not on their team. Right. Um, (laughs) They're kind of like skeptical. They're like, all right. When is yeah. it coming? Yeah. When can I be judgmental? When I, when can I criticize? Yeah. What exactly did you mean by black people when you said that? <laughs> You're like, uh, I meant I meant black. I meant people with, black, with dark skin. That's what I meant. Like I didn't mean right. anything by it. Like I just some people they are black people, and that's what that's who they are in the world. Like it's <laughs> I don't understand why these are, some of these things are controversial topics. I had a joke once where I said I was talking about differences between men and women, which is like the oldest comedy subject on the fucking planet like i think egyptians wrote about it i'm pretty sure they wrote about it to death and it's it's just insane like and for some reason if you bring these things up there's people in the audience who are like well men and women you know a lot of women also feel that way about these things and you're like okay we're not i'm not up i'm not a professor like i'm not up here giving a dissertation you're not giving facts you're giving jokes. Yeah, I'm talking exactly. I'm talking about jokes, and if you disagree with it, then you can disagree. But did, I don't care. You know what I mean? The only thing is, that I care if you laughed at it or not. Uh, it just feels like there's a, a very strongly polarized sort of that sort of social polarization. I think that you know the evidence of the word feminist is, I think, being used as a kind of uh, you know symbolic tribal banner in a kind of way. Um, yeah, and I didn't know, I don't know if that, I'm like, is this a new 
thing happening because growing up, maybe it was because I was just young and and I wasn't really involved in the world the way I am now. But I'm like, I don't remember ever feeling pressure to identify as anything. Yeah. But now it's like, what do you identify as? I'm like, huh, me? What? I don't know. Like, I, like why do I need to? It's almost like we're being forced into these uh, clear boxes and complexity does not ever exist at this point. It's not allowed to exist. Yeah, really. there's no there's no patience, I would say. Um, right. And there's no patience for any kind of nuance that um, it it's very weird. That was the other point I was going to make from what you said earlier is that it's actually condescending for people to do right. to do that. It's actually reductive and impersonal and and not very it's it's as bad uh, as somebody making a lot of negative associations because they heard that you do porn. It's exactly as, as negative as that, probably not in exactly the same way, but it's, I can, it, it feels impersonal and it feels when someone is trying to pigeonhole you like that, it feels like, look, I don't, you know, you could either deal with me as a human being in front of you right now, or you can try to slap a label on me and then we can, this engagement kind of stops. You're not really learning about things that I'm saying or doing or beliefs that I actually have. You're just reacting to your preconceived notion of what the label feminist means. I think a big part of what kind of perpetuates that sort of interaction with people, like what you were just saying, how they're they're not very tolerant, they're very like pigeonhole people, they're just sort of like out there to criticize or whatever. I, I think a big, and I know this is really cliche, but I, a big part of it is social media. I really think it is because, mm. you know, social media was really marketed and still is today to be like, this is your platform. This is your voice. You have a voice. You And that's really what it's about. Nobody ever markets it as in, interact with other people and learn about the world or um, engage with people in a mindful way. Like mm. that's, that's such boring marketing. Nobody would do that. So I feel like people use social media to, to kind of do everything that you're saying and that transfers over into real life a lot of times. Mm. It super does. Yeah. It would be, I can imagine if they, it would be like the national public radio of social media basically. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh my god, that sounds so boring. I actually used to work at I actually used to work at National Public Radio. I should say also uh WUOM Michigan Radio. Nice. Uh, yeah, it was you know, it was great. I didn't get paid. <laughs> you learned a lot though, right? Uh sure, I learned how to work 6 hours a day without a paycheck. Nice. Well, well, something can come from that maybe. Uh I hopefully I, you know, I, I, it was good to do. I don't, I don't fault them. I actually, I, I love pub, national public radio. I should say, just to be clear, actually, my girlfriend supports them. This is so ridiculous. I have to tell you the story real quick. She, okay. Um, she, we support national public radio, and she wrote. She got like a bonus last year or whatever. My girlfriend, by the way, makes far and away way more money than I do. She's way more successful than I am. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, I do okay. I'm not worried about it. But, like, she's, she's like, a business analyst in telecom and, like, does real, you know, like, real technical stuff that they reward her handsomely for. And she she's very good at, like, she's very philanthropic and gives a lot of money away to charity, which is cool and supports, you know, different causes like Planned Parenthood. And um, and one of those is, uh, is National Public Radio. And she wrote him a check. And I don't know how much it was for, but it was... Apparently it was quite nice. It was a decent check of a chunk of change for them, and they sent us as a thank you a, 
a hoodie that has like Chicago, you know, uh, you know, Illinois public radio on it. And right. she keeps joking. She's like, this hoodie cost you, tw- this hoodie cost me $2,000. Like, <laughs> Most expensive hoodie. Huh? Yeah, it's not even that nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, they had to give you something, some sort of thing. But, you know, maybe flowers might have been nicer. Yeah, I don't know. So, here's what's funny about my girlfriend, too. She hates getting flowers. Hates. I it. hate flowers, too. Do you? Oh, I hate flowers because... I, you know, I like things that are a little more practical, and I'm like, what am I supposed to do with these? They're going to die in a few days, yeah. maybe the next day, because I'm bad at taking care of flowers, and then i got to throw them away. It's just, uh, I don't like it. Yeah, that's exactly how she feels about it. And she's like, these are literally the genitals of the flower, and you're cu- or the plant, and, and you're cutting them off and giving them to me? Like, this is, <laughs> this is insane. Like she, she legitimately, she said that to me before and she's like, do not get, I don't want flowers for Valentine's day. I don't want them. I don't think that she's just, my girlfriend's an alien from another planet, by the way. That's so funny. That's what my boyfriend says about me because I complain about all kinds of stuff. I'm like, I don't like getting cards. I don't want to celebrate Valentine's day. I don't care about flowers. And he's like, you're an alien. Yeah. That's so, I'm actually writing a stand up bit about it because I'm like, she just has these so say this shit out of nowhere. Like we have a very unique relationship. My girlfriend and I have talked about it on the podcast before. Like we have, uh, what I what I call a uh, uh, we are non we are basically a non monogamous essentially. We are a non monogamous couple, but we mostly spend time with one another and sometimes have relationships with other people. But like early in our relationship, we hadn't exactly defined what we were doing. And she kept being like, I'm fine. Like, I know what we're doing. I'm okay. And I'm like, this feels like a test. You're like, like oh my God. How, okay. How do I interpret this situation? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then it's like, it's so strange because I was like, you know, I was like, kind of like, well, what do, when we started getting serious, I'm like, well, what are your plans for the future? Like, do you want to have kids? Like, I'm th- I think I might want to have kids one day. And she's like, I don't want to have kids. You can have kids. She's like, you can go have kids. I don't, you know, I'll raise them. I don't care. And I'm like, what? Like, oh, what do I, wow. I'm like, I'm from the Midwest. Like, do you, <laughs> like <laughs> tradition. Okay. Traditional. Yeah. How do I explain this to my, like Gloria, I'm going to have to explain this to my grandparents. Like, right. <laughs> you know, I had an astrologist one time years ago tell me, you don't have to have a traditional relationship. And I was like, Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> But now I kind of do, and I'll be honest, I kind of like it. But I think it's part of partly because I do porn, and I'm in such an untraditional lifestyle. I'm all, this is kind of cozy and nice. Yeah. Well, there's a lot. It's funny because um, there's a lot. It's not really until you're in a regular relationship that you're like, this is pretty nice. Like, I come home to somebody, and they they tell me nice things. Like, it's it's uh, it's it's fascinating because I was, like, super not – like into having a relationship for a long time and she just really flipped the switch on me, I guess. I guess you gotta meet that right person. Or yeah, or persons. Whatever you want to do. Persons, yes, that's true. Um well here's what I wanted to so that was a that was a whole tangent. Uh we'll edit that out. No, I'm just kidding. Um <laughs> here's what I wanted to talk about though. Is so so you, like I said before, you you occupy a very unique space sort of being at, I think the center of sort of a lot of male attention and, uh, and, and some female attention, I would say probably. Mm-hmm. And you have a unique perspective because professionally you exist in that space. And I think it's interesting because the me too movement I think is important. And I think m- mostly overdue to be completely honest. 
And sort of the unstated uh, theme of this podcast in the last few months has been sort of recounting all of these guys who have just been going down because uh, of their, you know, ridiculous behavior. And, right. Um, I was just curious, I guess, to hear your thoughts on kind of where you think a lot of this is coming from and what you think of it. And, you know, I think maybe we could kind of start with your feelings there and, and kind of hash it out by going through a few cases, if you're comfortable with that. You know, I, I very similar to feminism, I feel like I have an, a strange relationship with the Me Too movement. Because on one hand, I think, okay, this is long overdue, and there probably are a lot of women who, who are going to benefit from this. Like, maybe the majority. I'm not really sure. But on the other hand, I don't particularly relate to the Me Too movement. Like, I've never, it doesn't do anything for me personally. Mm, mm. So, you know, and a lot of it is based off of your own experiences because, you know, I've seen women that are making these claims like, um, you know, every woman deals with this and every woman hates this. And I'm like, well, do they? I don't think so because I know a lot of women who aren't relating to the Me Too movement Mm. in the same way. Um, So I really think it's based off your own experiences with men and the world and your work place and stuff like that. But I also feel like kind of what, uh, kind of propelled this whole movement forward and, and maybe I'm wrong was the entertainment industry. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But, and I tell people, I'm like, you know, the entertainment industry is atypical. I think Mm -hmm. it's just so different from any other industry. And it bothers me that people are looking at what's happening in the entertainment industry and applying that to every industry. And I'm like, it's so different. I mean, this is an industry that just breeds, um, misogyny, sexism, coercion, taking advantage of people. I mean, that is like what it lives and breathes off of. I'm going to, you know, and, and, and I don't, think other industries are that way so I mean even with the with the gender pay gap um you know there's a lot of actresses coming forward and going you know I'm not gonna work with this company anymore because they didn't pay me the same or whatever and I'm like um maybe I'm just very ignorant but I feel like again the entertainment industry is atypical and I want people to recognize that so Mm -hmm. even though this might be a movement that was necessary um uh, the entertainment industry itself is so different from other industries, and I don't want to s- relate it to every other industry, which I think people are easily doing. Because the entertainment industry is so out there and available for people to see, mm-hmm. they're not really seeing what's happening in other industries. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good point. Um, I can imagine, and I just—I guess I kind of want to be clear about this, I, I can imagine that, that you know there are probably a lot of women who have to deal with unwanted or you know, unsolicited, I think, uh, probably sexual attention from men that manifests it's whatever way that it does in, you know, in their lives. I can completely, completely believe that that's the case. Um, I think having said that, I think I would agree with you that it feels like I, you know, that some of the rates that people talk about are, it's just seem nuts. And it feels like, especially in the entertainment industry, there's, there are so many unique personalities that are drawn into that space who are seeking attention and have yes. probably unmet, you know, needs that have propelled them to want to go into that space that 
those feelings probably manifest themselves in many different kinds of ways. Like I think just from the comedy community uh, that I'm, you know, familiar with, there's just so many weirdos to be completely honest. I mean, for lack of a better term. It's the same way in porn. I mean, people are drawn to porn, uh, certain personality types and people with certain needs are drawn to the porn industry. Probably very similar to like the mainstream entertainment industry and probably even comedy i imagine man i would be i'm not surprised i feel like um this is cool because this is actually the first time i've uh you know communicated like over the phone or or talked with uh, somebody in the world of porn but i've been very fascinated with that world for a while and i think that the world of porn and comedy have a lot of like the venn diagrams like overlap a little bit yeah i was really fascinated because i heard I heard Dana Diarmond or Diarmond or however you say your last name. Diarmond. Diarmond. Yes. Um, on Mark Maron's podcast some time ago, and I was really, I was like, man, this everything she's saying like makes a ton of sense, and uh, it's just interesting because I think that it's it's strange because sex and humor are things that people do in their normal lives, and for some reason, people like I guess myself are you know, take something like that, like, like humor and go, you know what, I'm going to try to commodify this and do it professionally. And like, it's almost weird because it's like it, why would you do that? You know what I mean? I mean, especially, and in a lot of ways, it's even stranger, I think, than, than having, you know, having sex on camera or something, because it's just, it's, it's like, what kind of affirmation, because I'm trying to do it live in front of. (laughs) Right, 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 right. You know, it's kind of, um, in a weird way, they're both, sort of coping mechanisms like because a lot of comedians oh, gonna make fun of themselves or self-deprecating and it's a way for them to sort of express themselves and I think it's very similar in the sex industry as well so I guess that's an area where it overlaps but I agree with you I've always been like what is with comedy in the sex industry there's so many comedians who are like dating or involved in the sex industry and vice versa. There's so many performers who like want to cross over into comedy, yeah. which surprises me. It's, um, it's, it, it, it a little bit surprises me, I guess too, but I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it's, it's a little bit of a coping mechanism that man, that is so true. I had, um, uh, Meredith Cachel, who's a comedian here in Chicago. She runs a very successful, um, comedy show called Chicago Underground Comedy, um, which I was just at last night, actually. And she's a really very intelligent woman. She um, She's doing a lot of really cool things with the comedy show itself and raising a lot of money. She raised uh, 10 or 15K for the ACLU and Planned Parenthood last year. Um, okay. Which was just really cool, and I want to give her a shout-out for that as well. But um, we were talking, and one of the things that she said – because I said that, you know, there's a, and, and actually it would be really interesting to get your feedback on this. I said that, you know, one of the things that uh, she had been recently famous for here in Chicago was sort of talking about kind of the Me Too movement and how the comedy world has dealt with its own, um, in Chicago, has dealt with its own issues of predatory, you know, men in the scene. And um, uh, I'll relate this back to the coping mechanism, thing, coping mechanism thing in a second. But one of the things I asked her about in the podcast was I was saying that, you know, I think that a lot of men have a, there's a aspect to male sexuality that is aggressive and transgressive and it, it, it's just there. And I think that men have to learn to have a relationship with it if, you know, that's just how it is. And I know that listening to, as strange as it sounds, the Harvey Weinstein recording of him trying to pick up that 
woman in the hallway. I was disgusted by it. And partially I was disgusted by it because I was like, I know somewhere inside of me I'm capable of the same thing. And that makes me feel really kind of sick. But she was like, wow, that's so cool that you acknowledge that. Um, But one of the things she said in response is she was like, I think that a lot of times some women respond to that feeling of threatening by trying to inhabit the inside of it and going like, no, I am like, I'm going to take control of this interaction. I'm going to be the one who's, you know, pushing the pace of this, of this sexual interaction. And when they do it as a defense mechanism or a coping mechanism, um, I think that's kind of fascinating. And I know that that was maybe a lot of dots to draw a connection from, but I'd be interested to hear your thoughts about any of that, because I think that there's, there's some truth to it. There, there absolutely is. And you know, that's represented in the porn industry as well. And I don't think it's always, I don't say this, like, it's not always a very healthy thing because a lot of performers get into the industry because they feel the need to take charge of their sexuality because there, mm. there was a time when they didn't feel in charge of their sexuality, whether it's because they've been assaulted or raped or whatever. They're using that to say, I'm in charge of my sexuality. I decide what goes down. But they're very fragile people generally, and just one wrong thing on set can make them feel very vulnerable. And it's, it's, it, it's not actually that empowering for them and I'm not saying it's a case for everyone I know a lot of performers who have gotten in and it's really changed their life for the better um, they just have a completely different relationship with with their sexuality in a in a better way but a lot of times it's it makes them very fragile because they're walking this you know they're kind of walking on eggshells they're like I'm empowered but that one little comment or that one little word will make them kind of fall off and feel disempowered like you know, extremely disempowered. And, um, so it's interesting because we're always kind of trying to play that control dynamic with sexuality. And I think part of it is that we really struggle to navigate sexuality in general. Mm -hmm. Um, we're not really ever taught how, like if we are given sex education, it's here's the penis, here's the vagina, here's a bunch of STDs and you can get pregnant. So there's no, like we don't ever learn interpersonal uh, skills or intrapersonal skills about sexuality, which is so important to help you navigate uh, relationships and just the world in general. I mean, that's part of what we do with sex think is we use kind of sexuality as like the jumping off point or the lens that we explore so many other aspects of our lives and how sexuality relates to so much that's going on that you think doesn't have anything to do with sexuality. Well, you're, I, I, you're so, I think I, just everything you said, I think you're so, you're so on to on the money because it's, it's fascinating to me. That's one of the points I made. I think to Meredith, when I had her on the podcast is I was like, you know, the, the problem here is that nobody really teaches men how to do any of this. And it's, it's very confusing because a lot of what we do have are only bad examples. And those come from stories from other dudes who are I'm so glad that you say this because in the book, um, myth of male power, he talks about that. He says, you know, the men are expected to be the aggressors or the pursuers or however you want. Like there's very, they're socialized to, to pursue women and women are socialized to be pursued but no one ever teaches men how to pursue women so you can see where there'd be a lot of confusion or really 
poor choices made on the part of men. And I'm not saying men shouldn't be responsible for their actions. They absolutely should. But I think it's important to point out that, like, men are really not ever taught how to be the pursuer. Like, what is the right way to pursue a woman if they're never taught and we're never taught about sexuality or communication? That's just asking for failure constantly. Yeah, and, and that's the part that I think is, you know, unstated in a lot of these, like, kind of articles. And I think... um you know, the Aziz article is a, is a, maybe an example of this, which is that there's this strange level of like, you have to be transgressive because I think that what, and this is treading into maybe controversial territory, but I think that most women are, are are attracted, I think, to men who are uh, competent and a lot of competency has to come with confidence and, and power and the assumption of power, which I think a lot of men are rewarded for outside of even sexuality. If you assume responsibility and you assume power, you are rewarded typically. I mean, that's how people get promoted at work. That's why people are promoted in, you know, in the military. That's we take political representatives who take responsibility for things and then decide to put those things in order. Um, that, that power is assumed and taken. And I think that most women are probably attracted to to that in men because it, it brings a lot of positive qualities with it, like competency, like social standing, like taking care of people who are around them, um, you know, or within their, their sphere of influence. But that also takes with it other things that power brings that maybe aren't so uh, attractive necessarily, and that is the transgressive quality of those things, that if someone assumes power or responsibility, they're they're doing it outside of letting other people have the choice of letting them do it, if that makes sense. And I think that, you know, talking to, and just as an example, like if I'm in, you know, in Trader Joe's or whatever, and I see some woman who's who I'm attracted to, and in a moment thinking, well, maybe I should go try to talk to her, she's by herself in her world doing whatever it is she does, you know, and she probably maybe got hit on by a dozen guys that day (laughs) or whatever. But how the fuck am I supposed to know that? And like women don't walk around in the world necessarily with a sign that says, Hey, I'm available and you can talk to me. And I'm open to hearing from men. And if they did, they would receive so much attention from dudes who they probably didn't want to talk to (laughs) that they would immediately be like, I'm fucking, I'm done with this. Like, (laughs) Yeah, it's a weird world to navigate. And also with the power thing, and I've I've kind of explored this myself, but I'm like, sexuality is often how men abuse their power. Oh, yeah. Um, so, and I'm like, well, how do women abuse their power? Is it necessarily a sex thing or is it just a power thing? And that happens to be where men abuse their power. Whereas I'm like, well, where are men, how do women abuse their power and And why aren't we addressing that? Well, because it doesn't have to do with sex and we apply different rules to sex all the time. But I'm just curious to know either, and maybe women are abusing their power through sexuality, but it, it, you know, as you know, men aren't the ones coming forward being like, I was abused sexually. Um, Yeah. Well, because that, that, that is a social indicator of a lack of power, which were you to display it doesn't, it's not the same as vulnerability. That's saying I'm not competent and I'm screwed up here. And it's exactly the thing that any man would want to hide. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and, and and they're socialized to do that from the beginning. And so I think people really need to consider that it's not like a man versus women thing, which really bothers me about the Me Too movement. It's really about like socialization and, and kind of 
addressing the antecedents to what's happening now, whereas oftentimes we don't do that. We kind of go, this is happening, it needs to stop. And it's like, okay, well, let's get a little creative and understand why it's even gotten to this point in the first place. But people aren't willing to really think about it that hard. They want like an answer right now and they want it to change right now and they want it to shift right now. Um, but they're not really willing to explore why we're even here in the first place. Yeah, I. that's just, I mean, you really you're summing up all of this, I think, so well. Like, there uh, I've, I've seen, there was, as you were talking, I was trying to uh, come up with, I had two examples that I wanted to, that I wanted to talk about. Um, but I think the, but I think the greater point that you're making is just that there's this, this lack of, I think, patience or willingness to maybe look into the nuance of how this works out. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. You know, Laura Kipnis, this is fascinating, and this is why I thought she would be a good guest for your podcast. Um, she uh, she was involved in a Title IX, I mean, this is all public. She was involved in a Title IX case um, at, I think, Northwestern in Chicago. I'm, I'm okay. not really sure. But her Title IX case was fascinating because the situation involved a professor that was not her and one of his uh, graduate students. And they had, I guess, been dating and then had, you know, broken up or who knows what happened. And then the student brought him up on Title IX charges um, saying that he abused his position in order to pursue the relationship. And mm -hmm. the, the second half of that was that because Laura was a friend of this guy and had, he had confided in her about it, she then uh, wrote an article uh, about not naming any of the parties involved but basically describing the situation and talking about how she thought it was a little ridiculous um, for him to be brought up, you know, students and teachers is particularly at the time she was going to, meaning Laura Kipnis was going to college, dated all the time. And, right. you know, this is an adult woman who can make her own decisions and she could have decided not to date this guy. And, uh, it was a little ridiculous that she thought it was, you know, had, he had been brought up. Well, the next thing she knows, she's hit with a title nine, um, you know, claim. But this is all background. The point is that, you know, when I get, saw her give a talk, one of the things that she mentioned is she's like, look, I know the two people involved in this situation, and I can tell you that this woman had way more power over this guy in the situation. She was young and attractive and could, based on my, remember, you know, knowing their relationship, could have gotten him to do almost anything. Um, right. And it's strange because there's no public record there's almost no social recognition that that's actually the case like a lot of comedians who i know have this you know talk about that they're like you know it's uh i say one wrong thing to somebody at work and i'm fired and there's a lawsuit but like i date a woman and she fucks my entire life up like where's my you know reparations for this no, it's it's true, and you know, uh, uh, like the book I was talking about earlier, Women vs. Feminism, her name is Joanna Williams, and she talks a lot about, and there's a lot of other women that I follow who feel the same way, and how we're sort of like creating this, what they call victim feminism. Yeah. Um, how, you know, women are portrayed as like constantly being pursued, and they're never aggressive, they never do anything wrong, and whatever, and I'm like, you know, I come from a world where... I know a lot of really shitty women. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. I Just like I know, it, you know, it, it bothers me. Because, hey, what are their names? Because I might have dated a lot of them. 
because, you know, people can go, oh, well, there's a lot of shitty men. And everyone's like, yeah, 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 there's also a lot of good men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can't say there's shitty women. Oh, my God. You, you just can't say this that. Is so... <laughs> but there are so many horrible, just like there's horrible men, there's so many just horrible women that, oh that take God, advantage so of the funny. power. But also, there's a lot of women who aren't shitty that do use their power, and they're like, yeah, I do, whatever. Like, it doesn't mean they ruin people's lives, but there's there's – it's not that every woman doesn't want to use their sexuality or use their power. Like there are a lot of women do. And they're like, yeah, I do. So what? I use my sexuality. Big deal. And I'm like, all right, they, they <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> oh my God. That is so funny. Uh, uh, I promise you, I will not actually use that as the title of this podcast, but I'm you so can't <laughs> because I think more people need to say it. And I understand the, the people who are concerned about like so many for so long women haven't been believed. And I, I understand that and, yeah. and I sympathize with that. But at the same time, it's like we're going from the pendulum is swinging from one end to the other where now you can't even say women are shitty. And man, I know some women who've done some really fucked up things, like horrible things. And I'm like, fuck you, lady. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Be better. Like, <laughs> you suck so bad and no one's allowed to say that to you. <laughs> oh my God. That is so funny because it's, and, and it's so true that there, it's a, it's a strange thing. As they say, like, if you want to know the shadow side of a system or, or the shadow side of a culture, it's all things that you can't mention. Like, and that's, yeah. a, that's a strong one is that not every woman is wonderful. There's a lot of shitty women. And we should recognize that there's a lot of shitty women. And it's, that's, what's so strange is that like you're saying, like women have a right to be believed. I don't think so. I think that women have a right to be listened to for sure. Well, no, no, no. I never said they have a right to be believed. No, no, no. I said I, that yeah, for right. a long time they weren't believed, uh, but they, they don't have a right to be believed any more than a man has a right to be believed. Like yeah. it's, uh, it's. Yeah. Pardon me. I did not mean to put. <laughs> Um, I'm like, don't say that. Yeah. <laughs> Brendan Lemon, you promised me this would be a decent podcast. <laughs> but I, I don't, I don't, I hate that right now you kind of have to go directly there. And even in case, in court cases, it's almost like they don't follow the same rules as other cases because they fear, um, the backlash of not believing a woman. Yeah, I, well, a lot of these guys, what's fascinating is like, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Garrison Keillor sort of situation, uh, or if you even know who that is, but um, he was the host of uh, Prairie Home Companion on um, National Public Radio. We've actually, for a podcast, you know, for talking mostly about sexuality uh, with a professional uh, sex, you know, porn star, we've talked about National Public Radio quite a lot on this yeah, we have. podcast so far. I like that, though. I like that. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, it was interesting because Garrison Keillor, uh, was, you know, recently fired from Minnesota Public Radio. He had already kind of retired, but he was fired from Minnesota Public Radio. They pulled all of his audio archives from the website. You can't get A Prairie Home Companion anymore. They renamed his show, A Prairie Home Companion, to some other name. I don't even know what it's called now. And basically got rid of him immediately. Um, right. and the, this woman claimed that he had, you know, been inappropriate with her. And when you kind of went into the details of how he was inappropriate, it seemed very mundane. Like she was, uh, I guess he was trying to console her and put his hand on her back and then shot her an email later saying, hey, you know what, I think that was maybe inappropriate of me. I'd like to apologize. And 
it was like bang, just out out the door. Everything you have is gone, and it's right. just very weird because like it. I don't know how you know. I think what I think that we're in a, a strange predicament because it seems like the immediate response to a lot of this has been in a, uh, to people who feel that they are victims um, to appeal to authority or appeal to some kind of, you know, the public to be like, we yep. need to do something about this guy, which is right. weird because it feels like I would like to live in a world in which women feel that they're empowered to, in the moment, say, you know what, I'm not comfortable with this. And I don't think you should do this. And maybe not even have to demand an apology because they're aware of the fact that men haven't been taught what to do and people can make mistakes. And uh, I think it's very strange that like the, like you said, the pendulum is swinging in the other direction. It's, it's, it's just odd because I don't see a, I don't know what the solution is to, to, to people feeling, men and women feeling that they can, you know, get along in a way that, uh, you know, that isn't injurious to one another. It's, 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 it's tough right now. And I, I think maybe, I mean, some people are like, oh yeah, the pendulum's going to swing to this side fully, but then it's going to sort of, you know, meet in the middle. And I'm like, is it, or are we causing major damage between the genders? Like, are we, what are the implications of this? Like, yeah, is it just that easy? Like all of a sudden we're going to be like, all right, whoo, that was kind of crazy, but now we're fine. Like, yeah, I, now we're all good. Like, <laughs> It was like it was because it, it, it's weird. I think that men, like you know, most men who are concerned about the Me Too movement, like I've I've had you know friends of mine who are female comics on Facebook make these posts like when men express that they're concerned about what's going on in the Me Too movement, like they're fucking ridiculous. Like you guys are not allies. You're you know you you're expressing that you're afraid that you you know you've maybe sexually assaulted somebody, and you're like I don't think that most men are concerned about. I, don't, I think that most men are afraid that their normal, natural sexuality is hurting women, and they're afraid that, one, they're going to go down because they didn't know they did something wrong, and it, it turned out they did, and two, right. they're concerned that they're hurting people that they actually care about. Yeah, I mean, even in the porn industry, I've, I, I've talked to a lot of male colleagues <laughs> that's that seems like, okay i've talked to other male performers and they're like you know what i don't even i don't touch the girl until the director i mean not that they should be like all over the girl without their consent but like sure they're like i don't even like go near the girl i don't i hardly talk to her until he says action because they're like i don't know what i'm allowed to do and oh I'm, my god this I is such a good... women criticize men for that like as if it's just so easy to know. Yeah. And obviously in some situations you can say, yeah, stupid. But a lot of the time it is nuanced and we, especially on a sex set. Oh my like, God. What, that is so funny. Dude, there is a gray area. That and I hate a, it oh when God, women Chanel. in the industry think there isn't. They're like, oh, well, it should just be. It's so obvious. And I'm like, you... <laughs> Are clueless if you think there is not a gray area in general, yeah. let alone on a porn set. Oh my God, Chanel, this is a Saturday Night Live sketch that is yet to be written. It's like a, <laughs> like a guy, like a, and it was just two, you know, two porn stars who are about to have a scene, two performers are about to go at it, and the guy's like, I don't even know if this is okay or not. Like, they have to sign. Right, like the consensual, like, yeah. is, yes, does yes mean yes, and yes, what, no means no, like, what, I'm, and they just have no idea how to navigate oh it, and. Because <laughs> this, I mean, this thing with disease is, like, nuts, because 
you know, I've got friends who are, you know, who are talking about this and they're like, dude, it's like, she, she didn't, she never said no. Like, but so now I'm supposed to be a fucking mind. I'm supposed to get, you know, fifth dimensional consent from like, from, from a woman. Like, I don't even know how this works. Like it just, it's very, I think it's just very confusing as I think the bottom line is it's not, I don't think that, I, I think that giving most men the benefit of the doubt, it's not that the pushback against maybe the Me Too movement is against it per se. It's just that I, I'm just getting a little more confused about how I'm supposed to be behaving to make sure that it's okay for everybody. And I think that's the, that's the bottom line. I'll tell you what, though. This leaves a big opening in the marketplace for maybe someone who knows a lot about sexuality to produce a series of educational videos for people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I so when I first how to have wanted, safe sex with Chanel Preston. <laughs> you know, I never wanted to do like how to videos. I hate I hate listening to podcasts about sex. I hate reading about sex because it's so nuanced, I yeah. guess, and it's so basic. It's like this is how you give a bl- good blowjob. This is and I'm like people don't need that. Like they'll figure uh, that shit out so once they have better. Like I don't know skills to help them navigate this world like I don't know and so that's kind of how sex thing came about because initially I wanted to talk about um kind of the nuances of nuances of sexuality and how it applies to like everyday life and then of course uh Rob being political activist we just came together and created this show but yeah it's it's kind of I'm worried that it's going to be so controversial at times that people who need it most aren't going to be willing to listen. Ooh, and I'm not going to yeah. censor what we have to say, but the way that I hate this word, but the climate today um, is very much like, like we talked about earlier, like not willing to listen, not tolerate, not tolerant. And I'm, I'm just worried that people who already are willing to who already have a more open mind are the only ones that's going to be listening. And I'm like, Mm. everyone needs to be listening to this. And, and there's going to be times where it it might offend you, but it's really, the show is about an exploration. It's not about taking a position on anything. It's about exploring different positions and having like an uncensored conversation about a really Mm. complex world. Yeah. A really complex world that we all live in and all have to deal with. Every one of us. And, right. and there's no public dialogue really happening. Uh, and the one that is happening is confusing to a lot of people who are involved with it. And Yeah, they make it sound like it's black and white, and it's not. And, and that's – it's not. Yeah, and <laughs> you, you know what would be very interesting, I might venture to, to suggest, is you, you know, it would be fascinating for you guys to have guests on who have really differing views of of sexuality in general. I mean, people who are maybe conservative or who... Well, we definitely want to, because there's going to be episodes that will call for more of a debate style, I guess. So we definitely, definitely want to. It's, you know, to be honest, I mean, I'm like in porn in fucking Los Angeles. It's very difficult for me to be around uh, more conservative yeah. people. Like, I yeah. just don't have access to them, to yeah. be honest. Well, see, but that's part of the thing is, like, everybody gets in this bubble. Like, somewhere in Utah, there's got to be some, you know, conservative person oh, who, yeah. who would be willing to be like, you know what, I'll, I'll get on and talk about it, who is as, you know, hopefully patient as you are who could to, to entertain a different perspective and really think about it. And I think that would be... Really fascinating because I think what you have going for you on the podcast, and I would suggest everybody listening go check it out, is that I think 
I think you are you you have a very unique perspective. You're an intelligent woman. You have a lot of I think patience and the ability to listen to others that a podcast like that requires. And I think that Rob is a, a great partner in the sense that he's very willing to. He wants to explore. He's in this right. world to figure out his own feelings about it, which I think. I don't know if he's directly said, but the feeling I have is I'm like, you know, Rob is still figuring a lot of this shit out. And I think that oh, yeah. from your from your perspective, it feels like you have kind of a lot of it handled and you're very secure in a lot of it. And I think that that's what anchors the show. Yeah, I mean, and we knew that from the beginning because he comes from an extremely conservative background. I mean, he grew up Christian science, like yeah. super Christian science. Mm. And so he has a lot of like really – kind of scary and sad stories about growing up. And, and of course, I grew up feeling very comfortable and open. So that dynamic is very interesting because we have, we have such different backgrounds. And, and so it just makes kind of makes the show is our dynamic, I think. That's so cool. Um, I would, I would uh, suggest everybody go check it out. We, um, we're actually running up on time on the podcast. I try to keep these about an hour, 45 to an hour mostly. Uh, my audience is, is mostly uh, uh, eighth graders, so they don't have a... Okay. Uh, I'm just kidding. Perfect. <laughs> we do have the running joke on the podcast is that I do, I keep getting one listener from Russia, uh, and I'm pretty sure it's Vladimir V. Putin. Me? So if you have a message for Vlad Putin... <laughs> You know, I just had someone follow me on Twitter that was, like, involved with Putin. I was like, hey, what's this guy doing following me? Oh, my gosh. Hmm. Some, like, millionaire, billionaire Russian that's, like, Russian oligarch. Yeah. yeah, and I'm like, oh, okay. You should just cool. tweet at him and be like, hey, man, so how did you influence the election? <laughs> yeah, I, I've actually, like, been tempted. I'm just curious. So I was, like, Googling him. I was like, I gotta learn more about this guy. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I, I, that's actually interesting. We should talk about that before we get going. It's like, you, you must receive... I was a little surprised when you tweeted back at me, actually, because I was like, she must receive so much ridiculous crap on Twitter and social media that I was like, I don't even know if she's going to notice this tweet. Like, <laughs> You know, I don't always, but... If if sex think was tagged in there, that might have been why I saw it. Oh, and yeah, also, it. Yeah. you probably you probably tweeted me something that actually interested me. So I was like, oh, he's you know, you said that you tweeted me about the myth of the male power. Yeah, and Laura Kipnis. Power. Yeah, that was my first. Okay, so I was like, oh, okay, I'm I'm digging this engagement. I like this yeah. because you're right. Normally, it's just like ridiculous Did stuff this. and I don't pay a lot of attention but I've been trying to pay more attention to the sex think Twitter yeah well what do you have to this would this is maybe the, the the last bit of this that I'm interested in too is like you you must have to deal with you know so much unwanted attention yourself or maybe not I maybe unwanted is a strong word but attention that you just have to deal with um, how do you how do you even manage that in your life like how do you do you screen or do you you know, how, how often do you basically have to, you must have very good skills at, at politely dismissing people. <laughs> well, I actually ha have superior cognitive flexibility uh, skills, which means I can just block things out in order to achieve a goal. So maybe that's why. <laughs> Whoa, dude. I, I, was, I was tested for uh, ADHD and that's what they said. <laughs> They're like, holy shit, you have the opposite. You're super good at focusing. <laughs> So, I, um, you know, I, okay, I don't, and this 
this surprises people, but I, what draws me to the industry is not the attention. I actually don't really like the attention. I'm not very good at getting it. Mm-hmm. It annoys me. Like if people are taking photos of me or wanting to talk to me, I'm generally more confused. I'm like, why do they, what, why do they want to take a photo of me? But I, what I like about it is I'm interested in this, you know, world that I knew nothing about. I have a lot of fun performing. I enjoy it. I like Mm -hmm. the people. I have a really good time. But the attention is not something I'm very good at getting. And I think I I ignore it so much that people stop giving it to me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you know, people don't, not that many people uh, approach me in public. And I, uh, people joke that it's because I'm scary. That's because so funny. <laughs> I have like kind of this dominant personality and demeanor about me. Even on set, people are like, "You scare me." Yeah. But um, <laughs> it, they'll like tweet me afterward, like, "I just saw you at Whole Foods," or you know, somehow they'll say they or they'll talk about me behind my back. But they rarely approach me, so I don't really deal a lot with negative attention. And even people who are rude or messed up say horrible things on Twitter. I don't engage with them. I don't even block them. I just like mm. ignore them. So I don't really. I do get it, but not that often. So it's not, it doesn't really affect uh, my life too terribly at this point. Well, it's interesting because they say that the most effective way to, to, uh, to get rid of unwanted behavior in others is ignore it. Is yeah. not, not even give it negative attention. Um, I agree. It's, it's fascinating that that's the truth. I try to remember that. This is going to sound so shitty. It's a good thing my girlfriend doesn't listen to this podcast. It's like, it's so shitty because <laughs> anytime she's doing something that I'm like, I don't like this, I'm like, I'm not even going to, I'm literally, I'm not even going to mention it to her. I'm just going to keep ignoring it. And I'm surprised at how well that's worked since we've moved in. <laughs> oh, yeah, because part of it, especially online, is the whole trolling aspect. They just like that engagement and attention. And so you just don't give it to them because then it's no fun. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's no, no fun for them. Yeah, because that's shitty. They feel like they're like, they don't feel important because they're not important. Uh, right. that's what they're trying to get. They're just trying to get a feeling of importance. Um, right. That, uh, that's fat. That is, it's cool that you have that ability. It's interesting because I heard an interview with Houston once and she said, uh, something similar. She was like, I'm actually kind of an introvert and I'm actually not in the world of porn for attention. She's like, I, this is something I just connect with. And, uh, it's interesting because she ended up, I think when she retired, she became a nurse, I think. Uh, and I was like, that is fascinating. If you, if you were like in the hospital yeah, and it's you woke true. up in fucking Houston as your, your nurse, I'd be like, wait, did I die actually? Like- right. Am I in heaven or hell? <laughs> <laughs> it's true though. I feel like I'm the same way. I don't, I don't do it for attention. I don't think that's common in the industry i think people really feed off the attention and they like it and it's honestly it's the easiest way to get that much attention is to get into porn because there's no barrier to entry you literally for a woman have to just spread your legs and you will get some sort of attention that makes you feel like you're a superstar uh well in a strange way i suppose maybe that's comforting uh, (laughs) right i mean and it's fucked up to say this but like i've in the past have been like Man, it'd be so great to be a porn star just for that attention. Just for that attention. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> and I'm, that's why I'm doing comedy. Like, <laughs> maybe uh, that's maybe that's part of the overlap. Is like, is it's just you know, there's a you can be the focus of attention, and it feels really good. Um, well, I'm starting to think that the, that most people enjoy that, but it could. I could be so wrong. That could just be because I'm in the entertainment world, but it feels like most people I'm around do get some sort of validation from getting attention that way. 
or anyway, any attention. Yeah. Well, I think that, that we thrive on it, you know, and maybe that's part of the issue here is that like there, we live in a world, like I said, that the, the, the sort of unstated theme of this show is, uh, is trying to deal with the future shock, which is, um, just the idea that things are happening so quickly and so rapidly that, uh, you know, you, you can't adjust to them properly. And I think part of that future shock is just this being overwhelmed in the sea of social media and you can't get any attention. And that's maybe why it feels, people feel so strongly like they need to get, get that attention. Um, and I'm glad that I got some of your attention today. I feel very validated about it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you. I enjoyed the conversation. Uh, I'm glad you did. I was very afraid that I was like, man, what if we get on this podcast and I'm just fucking boring? <laughs> uh, man, I, I, I worry that I'll be boring. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think so at all. I think that, yeah, you're, you're, you're very effervescent and engaging. And, uh, you know, maybe in the future, after some, you know, after uh, more developments in the Me Too movement, we can have a, a round two and, and sort of hear your thoughts on how things have changed publicly as well. Absolutely. I am down. Okay, cool. Well, where, where can people, where should people check you out? We mentioned the Sex Think podcast. Uh, we know that Chanel doesn't respond to people on Twitter because she just mentioned it. <laughs> Unless you tag Sex Think and have something interesting to say. So don't just, you know, say how much you like my boobs and tag Sex Think. But uh, you can find me on Twitter at Chanel Preston. Um, the, uh, the Sex Think show is at Sex Think show. Um, we're on Twitter. We're on YouTube, Stitcher, Google Play. Um, you can find us at sexthinkshow.com. Um, yeah, so there's a, there's a few options for people. You guys need to make some some sexthink merch, uh, like a, just T-shirts that have your the logo on it or hats or something. Well, our last episode we made T-shirts for ourselves. If you if you notice, we're both wearing sexthink shirts, um, but we do want to do merchandise eventually. But we've. We're just, we're still very new. We're yeah, in you this... guys are only a few episodes in still, right? Yeah, I think only four. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm glad I caught it early uh, because I was like, man, this is pretty cool. What's your, your listenership must be pretty good though. It, it is and it's, but that's kind of what I was talking about earlier is I worry that sometimes the most, the people who need it most aren't going to um, watch it. But I really like uh, engaging with, uh, the people who listen to us because it helps reinforce that there are normal people out there. <laughs> yeah, there, are, there, are, there are. That's the that's the takeaway from this podcast. One, a lot of some women are shitty. <laughs> yes, exactly. And number two, uh, there are normal people out there. <laughs> yeah, they're just not the loudest, you know. Yeah, well, that's. I think that's the. I think that's the problem. Everybody, you know, people who have the craziest opinions are the ones who look for the largest bullhorns. Yes, so, you're right. Uh, well, thank you so much again for for taking the time. I really appreciate it. People can get at you at the uh, Sex Think and uh, and you know and, and other places online. And so uh, so take it easy. Thank you again so much. Uh, meanwhile, everybody, the madness continues. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. <laughs>